The following is my conversation with Kristen Straka. Kristen has developed a unique approach to mindset training through proven mindfulness techniques in sports. A firm believer in the power of the mind to make or break performance, he has extensively studied mindfulness-based mental performance training and has years of personal athletic achievement and successful coaching experience under his belt, including his career as a global mindset coach for Adidas Runners. A few of his previous positions include head pro of Hofseys Tennis Academy training the German national team and personal coach for multiple top tennis players, including Victoria Azarenka, formerly first in the world, and Andrea Petkovic, formerly 10th in the world. Additionally, while training with Christian, Mike Bryan won the ATP Tour World Championship in 2018 and the Adidas TSP team broke the world record running from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. His unique approach to mindset training has yielded significant benefits to his clients in the development of their performance. Founder of two community-oriented companies, he believes in fitness and mindfulness access for all regardless of their financial resources and fair practices within the professional fitness community. He is a member of the Mindfulness Facilitation Program at UCLA's Mindfulness Awareness Research Center at the Semmel Institute of Neuroscience and Human Behavior and the International Mindfulness Teachers Association. Hi, Christian. So I know that you've got a background in sports. You train uh, tennis players. You've trained marathon runners. Uh, you used to train as a professional athlete of your, as well. And then you transitioned completely. Can you tell me about your journey from the beginning? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> so my journey from the beginning started in a little... Uh, well, no, actually, I was born in Hamburg, Germany. My parents are Czech. They fled the Czech Republic, Czech Czechoslovakia back then, just a year before I was born. Um, and then one year after I was born, we moved to a little town called Bad Hersfeld, 25,000 people, um, which is also uh, the town that my wife's parents um, fled to um, from Iran. Uh, so my wife and me met when we were nine, ten years old. Um, oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> so then I, um, you know, I started playing tennis when I was four. Um, and then by the time I was seven, it was kind of like my main thing. I loved it. And that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, then like in any sport, you kind of, you know, go, if you're doing well, you go up the ranks and um, things start to change. So everything uh, evolved around, revolved around tennis for me. Um, and by the time I was 16, I moved to Spain to become a tennis professional. Uh, I quit school and then I started to go on tour. First, it's the junior tour, then it's the professional tour. But I had a, a problem with my arm when I basically, mm, you know, turned 19 or so. My arm started hurting quite a lot and I couldn't play a lot anymore. The more I played, the more it hurt kind of situation. And uh, I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know anybody that knew how to fix it. Um, then I did a lot of tests. They 
said, I need to remove my first drip. That's going to solve the issue. And then I can continue playing professionally. So since that was the only thing after six months of testing um, that uh, somebody figured out, I said, okay, I want to really be and continue on this journey. So I had my rib removed and then I had four months of rehab after that. Um, the first time I played fully again, the same pain came back. So I basically did that moment when I felt the pain again for the first time after the surgery and after the rehabilitation, which was supposed to get rid of that issue, um, I decided this is it. I'm not going to play professionally. I can't. Um, and then I turned to coaching pretty quickly. My, my mentor and coach um, back then in Spain was like, I think, you know, you, this might be good for you. Like you might enjoy it and you might be good at it. Uh, and never had thought to that point in my life that I would ever coach anybody in anything. That was not something that, <laughs> it's not that I didn't like it or I thought I didn't want to do it. It just literally never crossed my mind one time. So I was like, mm, okay. And I really didn't want to go back to school or anything. I was still very young. You know, I was in my early twenties and, um, I went through the, you know, like through a whole teacher training for a couple of years and, really learned to coach though from him so he started teaching me how to teach for six hours a day in the academy hmm. um, and i loved it and i was as a coach then much faster much more successful than as a player so then i was coaching players that won grand slams and you know uh, won good professional tournaments i was leading the academy there the I was the head pro of the tennis academy and I started to realize that all of the players that I was coaching, it didn't matter whether they're professional athletes or whether they are amateur athletes, college athletes, all of these players, they have a optimal level of performance that they sometimes are able to play at, whether it's in practice or in matches, hmm. more often in practice than in matches, but like really irrelevant a little bit. And um, I realized that just like me, the reason why all of these players that I was working with weren't able to play at that optimal level of performance all the time and as often as they would like was not because they didn't have the technical skill. They had the technical skill yesterday, they still have it today. It was not because they weren't fit enough. They were just as fit today as they were yesterday. Of course, there's sometimes day where you're weak or injured or tired and stuff like that. But like generally speaking, that is not the reason why you're not playing well that one day, right? Or for that one game. Hmm. Um, it's also not because most of them really didn't understand what to do, you know, where to hit the ball, you know, just basic strategy is at very advanced level strategy can get very complex but at the end of the day what you need to accomplish is you need to make fewer mistakes than your opponent and you need to hit the ball in a way that the opponent is not um doesn't have a really easy time getting in his or her or their best position to able to hit the best ball so i realized well it was really they were not paying attention to like what mattered most. They were getting distracted, distracted by external events, distracted 
by inner events, by what they were thinking about. They were thinking about things that were irrelevant to what they needed to do right now. Um, they were experiencing things like anger or fear um, or doubt, right? Um, that they didn't have the ability to deal with in a way that it would not impede their performance. Um, and without knowing kind of how to solve that issue, I was like, this is like, this is what you got to do. I just, at that point in time, I didn't know like that you need to train that. And I mm -hmm. didn't know how to train it. So just like me now, I was one step further. I realized that's the issue, but I didn't have any kind of mechanism in place, you know, for myself or anybody else. Um, so I was just like, you got to do, you got to pay attention to this. But like, they couldn't, right? Yeah. So um, then I myself had a nervous breakdown for the first time in my life. And what, it was... What, what led you to that breakdown? Like, what was it because of uh, your work or something else? It was a personal matter. It was a, okay. a breakup. It was a okay. breakup that, like, in my mind was not going to happen. And then it did happen. Okay. Um, and that kind of um, shattered my belief system. Mm -hmm. It's like what I believed to be true was not true. And it was like, that never happened to that point. Like, if I had a very strong belief mm -hmm. in something that had never been disproven or shattered in my life. Um, you know, a belief where I was like, yeah, I believe this is true, but um, maybe it's not, you know, that happened, of course, many times in my life, but there was never a point in my life until that point, where I was like, this, I believe 100%, as sure, sure as the sun will rise, hmm. this will happen, no matter what. Yeah. And that would shatter. And that was disproven. <laughs> yeah. So um, that had the effect that all of a sudden I was having thoughts, um, visual thoughts, auditory thoughts. And the second, the millisecond that one of those thoughts would enter my mind, I would have an emotional reaction in my body that was so strong that I couldn't even function. I would hyperventilate, I would oh. cramp up. So mm -hmm. a thought would trigger sensations in the body of very high intensity and anything that's very high in intensity also generally tends to be unpleasant. Hmm. Um, so that was like a real new door that opened up for me. It was an unpleasant one initially, but it kind of changed my life in the most beneficial way because I realized how much power my mind had over me. And then I went onto this journey very slowly being like, well, if my mind has that much power over me to a negative direction, why can't I do that in the positive direction? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. I didn't understand why that would not work. I could easily at any point in time remember or come up with an unpleasant thought that I know kind of will trigger me, right? About something that I care about. I would think about it and like really don't want it. Hmm. And immediately I feel it. I feel it. I feel it right now, right? <laughs> if I think about something I really don't want and the sensation comes. Yeah. And I was like, well, if I think about something positive, why don't I feel like super happy or, or, or confident all of a sudden? I tell myself I'm great and I don't feel great. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Why is it only working in one direction? Yeah. 
Um, and then um, I started to get more into that theme and matter and subject in my life was very personally very interested because it just didn't make any sense for me. Yeah. And I realized and learned um, that this is actually something that you can train. There's a mechanism, there's principles, techniques, strategies in place, how one can develop internal skills that will change how you experience life, will change what you're perceiving, what you're able to perceive at will, and it will change not just what you are experiencing, but how you relate to your experiences. Um, and when I realized that that is a possibility through systematic and consistent training and repetition, I was like, that's what I'm doing. I'm not mm. doing anything else anymore. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be uh, living a life. Um, and I was very happy. It was like, I had a great life always, right? Mm. No matter whatever unpleasantness I had in my life or, or pleasantness, overall, I had a and I still do a wonderful, wonderful life. Very lucky, very fortunate. Um, nonetheless, I was like, this is like, I don't want to experience this. I don't want to have these thoughts to begin with. I want to have different thoughts. Why can't I have thoughts that I want to have, right? Yeah. Um, these, all these thoughts are coming into my mind that like, if I could choose, I would not have them. Um, there's all these sensations in my body that are unpleasant. Mm -hmm. There's a way out of this. I want the way out. <laughs> so... I developed, uh, started to develop these skills. I started training, reading, listening, nonstop. Every single free minute I had, when I woke up, I put on, you know, videos, hour long teachers, listening to them, practicing. Um, and over time, you know, I'm kind of fast forwarding years now. Okay. Um, I developed these skills, these skills improved. Yeah. And they improved to then to a point where I was still, and I still am the same person. I'm changing. Everybody's changing every year slowly, right? But essentially, like, I'm the same. But it's different now to experience life for me. Hmm. Very different. And once I realized that that's possible, and it can impact so many areas in life, it can impact how much you're suffering, it can impact how much fulfillment you're experiencing. It can impact um, how much insight you have, how wise you are. It can impact um, your behavior. You can change your behavior in a positive way. It will change how you relate to other people and to the world, how much you connect, how much compassion you experience or not, also mm -hmm. to yourself. Yeah. And it can impact your performance. Hmm. in sports or in any other uh, field that you are interested in and passionate about Be besides point, uh, besides sports and like uh, how have you seen a change and translate like i know you you mentioned that you started training uh, uh like you know the marathon runners the tennis players with the same technique that you learned because that you needed it and it was that that answer that you felt like everybody needed that question that they that they had never asked and how else did it impact your life? Did it, uh, yes, you were happier, but like imagine like I'm reading a book, does it help me focus better? Like those key things you don't realize until you actually have those skills. 
Yeah, so, um, you know, what I was saying about kind of your suffering less or your performance improves or you're enjoying more fulfillment, those are like very broad, overarching categories, okay? Mm. Um, the way you can suffer less, improve your performance, enjoy more fulfillment and so forth is all by developing a mm. set of internal skills. Yeah. So these skills are... I call them what, what you call them is really secondary. Okay, mm. you have to define what those skills are, but I just call them concentration, clarity, and coolness. Mm, the C three so C concentration. Okay, exactly. Mm. That's the three C's that mm -hmm. I just call, you know, to easily memorize. Yes. Concentration, the first skill is your ability to pay attention to whatever you want to pay attention to for however long you want to pay attention to it. It doesn't matter if it's something that you're seeing externally, or you're seeing it in your mind, whether it's something that you're hearing externally, or you're hearing it in your mind, hmm. whether you're smelling or tasting, or whether you're feeling it, a physical body sensation, pressure, pain, movement, motion, timing, or whether it's emotional sensations, right? Interest, motivation, joy, love, anxiety, depression, fear, anger, and we can keep going through the list. Mm, yes. Okay. So you can pay attention to whatever you want for however long. That doesn't mean what most people understand as concentration means I pay attention to one thing that's small for a long time. Okay. That is concentration, but it's just one subcategory of concentration. We could mm. call that sustained attention hmm. so i pay attention to the tip of my nose nothing else for 30 minutes okay that is falls under the con category of concentration and it falls under the subcategory of sustained attention hmm. but i can also pay attention to the tip of my nose and then to looking at you hmm. and then to the feeling of my hand and then to what's going through my mind for two seconds two seconds two seconds and i fully pay attention to it it's still concentration. Yeah. Now it is momentary attention, not, mm. not sustained attention. And mm. it's also selective attention because I'm selecting, I'm choosing what to pay attention to. Okay. Mm. So there's a lot of subcategories within concentration, mm. executive attention, when you being able to pay attention to what you want, when there's distractions going on, mm. external distractions or internal distractions, your yeah. mind might be distracting you with thoughts or, or emotions in the body. Yeah. Um, then the second skill is clarity. People can describe it as awareness, presence, being in the moment now. It is your ability to track what you are experiencing in real time. Okay, so mm -hmm. when you're using concentration, you are directing your attention to whatever experience you're able to perceive. And you hold it there hmm. for however long you want. But once your attention is on that experience, let's just say right now you turn your attention to my voice. Hmm. Now, anything that you notice in real time about my voice is already a second skill. That is clarity. That is aware. You are aware now hmm. of what it is that you are listening to. So you could be aware of the story 
the content of what I'm saying, so you understand it. You can be aware where the sound is coming from. So right now, the sound is coming from your speakers, right? So it's directional. You can listen to another part of the room and the sound isn't there. So that's something you can be aware of. You can be aware that I have an accent. You can mm -hmm. be aware whether I'm speaking loud or silent. You can be aware whether what I'm saying is pleasant or unpleasant. Mm -hmm. So whatever aspect of that experience that you are paying attention to is you're noticing is that that second skill, right? There's a subcategory also within awareness and clarity, which is your ability to clearly distinguish between different sense categories. So it's very easy to distinguish between an auditory experience, what you're he hearing my voice and the sensation of your hand. Yeah. But it is more difficult to, ex um, to distinguish between an auditory thought when you're talking to yourself and a visual thought in your mind. Mm. So the more this ability improves, the easier you will be, uh, easier of a time you will have at distinguishing your different senses from one another, which will have the effect of reducing overwhelm. So, and then the third skill, coolness, traditionally people call it equanimity, openness, acceptance, um, is your ability to try to be equally open to pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experiences without trying to suppress or avoid mm. something that's unpleasant and you don't like, without trying to cling and hold on to what you do like, and without trying to be indifferent to what is neutral. Yeah. And instead, it's another option where you notice that it is unpleasant just because you're cool with the unpleasant sensation doesn't mean that it's going to be pleasant but you don't try to have an antagonistic relationship with that experience you try to allow it to be there just the way it is and then you will develop the ability to act independently of this experience, like feeling angry, okay, mm. you notice the anger, you allow the anger, the anger is doing whatever the anger is doing, the feeling of the anger, yeah. but you can now act independent of feeling angry or not, you can still be nice, for example, right, mm. you're not faking it, you're allowing the anger to be there, you're realizing your anger, it's unpleasant, but what you do, how you behave, is independent of this experience, you're not suppressing it, Instead of what most people experience, you react to hmm. the anger. You have no choice anymore. So yeah. this ability of coolness starts to give you choices. Doesn't mean that when you're angry, you're not supposed to ever act in an angry fashion. Hmm. Anger, in certain cases, is the appropriate move forward. Yeah. Somebody does something inappropriate and you got to... Um, have an angry expression and say something and stand your ground. Yep. Um, but it is a choice of yours now. Hmm. And it's a choice that you can take if you want to. If you think intellectually and understand this is actually beneficial to me, then yes, that's how you move forward. And if you reacting angry 
would not be beneficial to you or anybody else, you now have the choice to not be act in an angry fashion. Yeah. You're just allowing the anger to be there. So these three skills is what you train and use simultaneously. Yeah. Intentionally. Mm. And once you do that, these skills will improve. And then you go into techniques. You mentioned techniques before. So there is an indefinite, uh, indefinite amount of techniques in the world. Um, because there's an indefinite amount, uh, infinite amount, sorry, uh, of focus ranges. True. The technique is always consists of two things. First, it's the focus range. So what are you paying attention to? And then the second part of any technique, mental technique is what are you supposed to do? So the instruction set, you know, are you yeah. supposed to pay attention for this long or for that long? Or what mm -hmm. are you doing when you when you get distracted and so forth? Yeah. So because you can pay attention to an infinite amount of things yeah. in your life, there is an infinite amount of techniques. And certain techniques we know scientifically have certain benefits. But yeah, there's no way that anybody can say, oh, this is the technique like this really worked for me, like you should do this technique also. Hmm. It you want to get to a point optimally where you understand how these skills work, what I was just talking about concentration, clarity and coolness, you understand what and how you can pay attention to things in your life. And when you understand that, then you can practice the techniques that work best for you in your life, how you function, yeah. what you're experiencing. Breathe, paying attention to my breath in the situation when I am stressed might so be great for me, hmm. but for the next person, hmm. they pay attention to their breath, they get more anxious. <laughs> sure. right? So you can't say, oh yeah, breathing is perfect for everybody. Hmm. Um, so that was a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a good answer. Although it reminded me of something which is kind of not, very strange uh, correlation in my head, but psychopaths. So psychopaths are able to do these things without any training. And there's a reason why they're so much more successful than the general public because they're able to like, you know, concentrate without like getting emotional. There's clarity, there's coolness in their behavior because they're just hardwired like that. And so in a way, if you're able to tap in without being a psychopath, you could be a little bit better than what you're, you think you are. Like you, you can break that barrier of your considered consciousness and your abilities. I, I might be completely off. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, um, these skills mm. are by definition skills. Okay. They're abilities yeah. that everybody has, who is a healthy human being and like any ability you are given this ability at life in a certain way. There's yeah. people that are just by, from birth stronger than other people. True. People that are faster than other people, right? So those are physical skills. Um, there's people that are more coordinated than other people. They have better balance, right? Mm. Without ever having trained. And there's, it's the same with these three internal skills. There's people that have an easier time paying attention than, mm. some, than the other person. Yeah. Or there's another person that is just has an easier time accepting what they are experiencing and able to act independently of it. Right. Yeah. However, just as much as that is true, 
What is also true is that however these skills, wherever these skills are at when you're born and how you live your life, if you don't train those skills in a systematic and consistent way, then these skills will not improve very much. They might not even improve at all. True. Because these skills are tied to specific situations. Mm-hmm. Just like everybody who has a healthy human body is able to run and walk. It's always the same example I give. You can give examples. Mm-hmm. But when you're 40, you're not faster. You're still healthy. You're in good shape. Or, or 30, let's say. You're like almost in peak of your life, let's say, physically speaking. Um, and you're living a healthy lifestyle. But if you have never ran... You're not able to run a marathon, yeah. even though you're running and walking for 30 years, right? So why is that? Because just occasional sporadic use hmm. that is still a lot of use will not improve the skills in a way that they will improve in, for a specific task. So if you want to be able to run in a specific way, yeah. which means you want to run for a long time, or you want to run very fast, right? Then you need to train your ability to run in a systematic and consistent way yeah. for an extended period of time. It's not enough to just say, I will run consistently and for a long period of time. And it's not systematic. So meaning, I will just go out and run every day for two hours, seven, seven days a week for five months. It's not gonna That's happen. not going to do anything. Hmm. The, then you're going to break down. So the systematic approach, knowing when to run, how long to run, how fast to run, when not to run, when to take a break, what other elements to do to that aid your ability to run and recover faster. That is the systematic approach that you need to implement. That is not something you can just conjure up by yourself. True. And with these mental skills, it's exactly the same. Hmm. You need a systematic approach that you then incorporate in a consistent. So you do it all the time, every day, and you do it for a longer period of time. So it's not just like once for one week, but you do it for months and years. And then these skills will improve to a degree where it's very challenging to even comprehend what it can be like to pay attention to what you want for however long you want. Imagine you could just right now pay attention to the feeling of your arm and you're not noticing anything else at all because you're so focused on it. You can do that for 10 minutes now and not one single time will you space out, will you get distracted, will you think about something, right? There might be thoughts, but you're not noticing them because you're paying attention to the sensation of your arm. That, that's possible. People are develop the ability with years and years of training to pay attention to the tip of their nose for four hours with ever, without ever getting distracted. Like that is possible. Yeah. Is it like useful for a certain performance to pay attention to your nose for four hours. That's something you can argue. Um, But there's a lot of other benefits to it. But if you just take the principle of somebody can pay attention to what they want and you translate that 
to whatever you're doing, right? You're a teacher, you're, you're a tennis player, you're, you're a runner, you're a basketball player, you're, you're an actor, whatever it is that you're doing. And now you know what you should be paying attention to, mm -hmm. right? And you can do that, no questions asked. Imagine how much your performance will improve. It's unimaginable almost how good you would be, yeah. right? If, if these three skills would be, you know, at their peak. I'm going to stop you right here because I am running out of time. Can we just jump on the same link one more time? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Okay. So I had a question going back to your, you mentioning your shoulder injury and you removing a rib cage. Uh, if science would, would change and things would be in such a manner that you could go back to your version of yourself, which is before you were injured, would you go back to playing tennis professionally? Yes. Because it is still that a dream. My short answer. I can do the opposite <laughs> also. <laughs> Give me the long answer too. <laughs> um, I would... Um... With the information that I had at the time, yeah. I would not do anything differently in my life than I have done. Looking back, having information that I have now that I didn't have at the time, hmm. there are certain things that I would do differently, but honestly, maybe not even because everything that I would have changed in my life would have changed everything afterwards, yeah. right? So if I would have continued playing tennis um, because, you know, a good friend of mine who I was coaching, um, he had the exact same issue and he was able to fix that issue. And it was way worse than I had it actually hmm. within three months of physical therapy and training. And then he continued playing tennis. No problem that, at all. That's just not fair. Okay? <laughs> so if I would have had that information or this physical therapist back in the day, um, and I would have been able to continue playing tennis and you know, then been on the tour and I don't know what. Yeah. I mean, the chances are very high that I wouldn't have reconnected with my wife mm. and I could be number one in the world for 30 years straight, making a quadrillion of dollars. And if I would have the choice to do that or meet my wife, I would pick my wife a million times in a row. That's nice. So, you know, I am in a situation in my life where you're experiencing, everybody is experiencing challenges all the time, right? Yeah. Um, it is really about how do you deal with those challenges and um, are, you are you adjusting and adapting to, you know, the mistakes that you're making? Hmm. But I would not want to trade anything at all. For the life you have. The situation that I'm in my life just because I'm with a person that I respect and adore more mm. than I could have even imagined that I can adore somebody and love. Uh, and I am living in the place that is like my place of choosing. It's my favorite. I live in LA, close mm. to the water. Mm. And it was my life's dream to live here. I never would have thought that we would have, that I could live a life like I have right now. Mm. Um, and the route that led me here to be allowed to experience what I'm experiencing right now, I would do that 
a million times in a row. It's like, give me the surgery, <laughs> give me this, let me fail. Like if this is where I'm going to end up right now, yeah. I will want to end up right here sitting with you talking. And after this, going to my wife, giving her a kiss. That's beautiful. So you both you mentioned that both of you like left your countries, like your families had to escape or leave and then come to a certain place. Tell me a little bit about your your history, your family's history, and then even hers, because there's there's a common theme. Is that because this, is that one of the reasons you connected? Was that something that you found common? You know, um, my my parents fled Czechoslovakia because it was communist Eastern Europe, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, my parents were for my dad was a doctor, my mother was a TV uh, newscaster, uh, mm -hmm. back in the whenever that was 70s, you know, mm -hmm. and they were doing very well. And if you were in a living in a communist country at the time, and you were doing well, then you had no choice but to join the Communist Party. And my parents were absolutely against communism, they, it was the worst them my dad said like just quote i would die before i would join the communist party so basically it was either they're going to go to prison or they leave but you're not allowed to leave so they had to flee hmm. um it's not they didn't flee in the same fashion as my wife's family did flee okay. iran that was hmm. even more intense like over the mountains and hmm. separating and all of that stuff but they fled by basically taking my sister and having two pieces of luggage no money no nothing hmm. and just they uh, they had the they get got permission to go to vacation which is already rare and they were okay. allowed to go across the border hmm. um but they did everything of course you know the communists knew that like people have a hard time coming back so they put mechanisms in place that like you know almost impossible to not come back um, but that's what they did. They were allowed to cross the border. They didn't have anything. They didn't speak another language. Um, I mean, Russian, because that's what you learned back there. Yeah. And they went to Germany. And there was an old friend of theirs who also fled. He helped them. And then my dad redid his uh, um, specialty. He was an ears, nose and throat doctor. Um, and my mother started cleaning toilets and elderly people in homes. And um they were able to get started uh, and then within one year um you know my dad was a good doctor so and he had to redo his specialty but like he did everything very fast learned the language within mm. a year um and then they were allowed to open up a private practice somewhere mm. in germany but they didn't pick where they you're not allowed to pick where to open up a practice uh, back in the day the way it worked was um the the government and the governing body uh, of that ever, whatever specialty would say, oh, in this region, in this town in Germany, there is an opening and one more ears, nose and throat doctor is allowed to open up. Do okay. you want to go there? And then he was the first chance he got was like, yeah, I will go. <laughs> um, so that's why they ended up in this little town called Bad Hersfeld. And um, with my wife's family, it was um, similar. They ended up there by total coincidence. 
um, they wanted to actually go to the US, but like they got stranded in Turkey and then and then from Turkey, they wanted to go, I think to the US, but um, I think one of her brothers got stopped in Germany at the airport, but just, you know, changing planes. Yeah. And then they were stranded in Germany. Um, and yeah, and that's how they ended up also in Bad Hersfeld because, you know, when you have asylum, um, you also don't have a lot of choices. You just mm, can't just go wherever you want to go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then I think. But my it made, was, makes sense because she wanted to move to uh, the US and now she is in the US. So yeah, now we are in the US. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It just took 40 years longer. <laughs> you know, but yeah. be patient. Yes. <laughs> Life yeah. always gives you what you you need. <laughs> Um, you yeah, yeah. you speak about running a lot and you also uh, train people in running. Uh, I used to run. I try to run as often as I can, but I um, suffer like from a knee and hip injury because of the way my gait is. It's messed up. What are the key metrics that you need to make sure to like, you know, track so that you don't end up first of all injuring yourself and then long term, you know, it just debilitates you and then overall to improve your performance? Well, um, number one, I'm not a running coach. I am a mental okay. performance coach for runners. Okay. So um, in this case, you know, I can give you some overarching uh, kind of parameters okay. of what people need to do or not, but it's not like you're getting an expert kind of take on like, what should you do for running specifically in order to get injured? You know, I mean, in many sports, it's kind of there's similarities and principles, and then there's specialties um, you know, in every sport, because you're using your body in a very um, unique way, hmm. consistently. So there are certain um, muscles, tendons, ligament postures that w you will strengthen others that will kind of get weaker, and you need to kind of balance that yeah. with additional training. And additionally to that, you have your own strengths and weaknesses your your body right that you were given and how you have trained in your life and that needs to be adapted uh, and individualized um so to give like an overarch it's an, i'm not like a fan of that anyway it's similar to the mental performance training like it's like hey i give you these three techniques and those are great for you to become you know develop yeah. those skills is no i want to teach you the principles the mechanisms the strategies um, I teach you a couple of techniques just so you know what some techniques are, but that doesn't mean those are the techniques for you. Yeah, maybe, maybe they are because you will like them, but you know, the not chances are also very high that it's not the case. Hmm. And when it comes to my coaching, when I was coaching tennis or also fitness, anything I take that I always took that same approach. I never take a general uh, across the board approach where it's like you, everybody needs to do this and that and like that's going to be great, right? Hmm course there are certain fundamental principles that everybody needs to implement but like there those are very basic very yeah. important but therefore you need to individualize like pretty quickly hmm. you know in order to not um kind of start working out or training in a way that will eventually have a negative impact on you Sorry to interrupt, but I just have a question then. So what would would those like, you know, key things like how you modulate it, your program or the way you think or the way what works for you is what differentiates a peak performer from someone else because they are able to find what works for them. Like you said, there is something about the right 
mindset and training in that mindset but not every technique works for everyone and we think like okay i'm still i'm going to look at a basketball player and it's like okay he let's say trains for five five hours every day but when i do that i cannot i can't i can't keep up and so i'm like okay this person is just like superhuman he's got special skills but that works for him then there are some people who like barely work out and then they go to the gym once a week and they're fine so is that the difference? That's the uh, the the big barrier between peak performance and everybody else. Um, I think there's many barriers between people that are able to access peak performance um, and people that are not. I think the very first one is your life's circumstances. If you are born into a life situation where you can't develop certain physical skills because of the geolocation mm. of where you're at uh, in some, you know, in a, in a remote area somewhere in the world um, because of how you're raised, it's not a choice anybody has. Mm. Nobody chooses their parents, um, what you have been given, the skills, the genes and the, everything that is like, there is certain set that everybody comes to the world with that nobody chose ever and nobody ever will. Um, and that is the number one determining factor of whether you even have the theoretical option to make it, even though you might have those skills, those mental skills and even the physical skills. Mm. But you, if you're living in a remote, um, a village in Asia or in Africa or in the US, it doesn't matter. And like, there's no access to anything. You're not going to. Your you know, chances are lower. Basketball. True. It's just, you know, um, and that's not even talking about when you're in an area where all of a sudden war starts hmm. or other elements. So I think that is number one. Everybody that is in a situation where they have developed skills to the degree where they're, you know, at the best in the world, number one, they are lucky. Hmm. There's close to 8 billion or over 7 billion people in the world right now. Hmm. And everybody that made it, yes, they put a lot of hard work in for sure. Not yeah. Everybody is, but number one you were just lucky yeah. to be born into a situation where you even have the chance to to do that yeah okay um and that is something that i feel like most people don't mention enough and also don't remember enough to be able to appreciate yes yes be confident and be proud of what all the work that you have put in all the challenges over all these years to be able to get to that point in your life where you're one of the best in the world and to stay there. Hmm. But uh, number one, it's you're just lucky. If that if you wouldn't have been lucky and been born into the situation, like 99.9% yeah. .9 of the rest of the world, like all of your hard work, like it wouldn't have resulted in where you are right, right now. And realizing that um, for me generally has the effect of being more humble, hmm. more appreciative um, of the situation that I'm allowed to be experiencing for the yeah. time being. Um, and also 
really trying to see what are other people that it's not their fault. You know, mm. you don't feel like, oh yeah, I'm so much better than yeah. that person. It's mm. like, no, I'm not better. <laughs> I'm just lucky. Honestly, yeah. that's yeah. really about it. Right. I'm lucky with the people I have in my life. I'm lucky yeah. with the um, people that influenced me, that gave me information. I'm lucky mm. that I heard about this person that told me this thing that changed my life. It's yeah. luck, 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 over, over and over and over and bad luck. And some mm. people just have more bad luck than luck. Mm -hmm. That's true. And, and it's, um, it's actually very refreshing yeah. that you've said that because a lot of people, especially people who've been successful or like been able to achieve something in their life, they always say, oh, I just grind really hard. I work so hard. Like you think someone who has two jobs and has kids to take care of is not working hard. And they go like, you know, just keep focusing on your goal and like, you know, you will get there and have faith. And for so, a lot of people, like, uh, let's say, let's assume like the uh, the industry of music. Out of one successful band, there are hundreds of good, really good bands who don't make it. And no, there's no speaking about that. Like when there are actors, like you're in LA, how many out of work actors are there who've not hit stardom, who've not become like, you know, the next superstar? And do they lack the skills? Not necessarily. So I, I'm, I'm really glad you said that because people don't, speak about that they don't give that space they go like let's very negative talk we want to talk about like working hard and like uh being successful and then that's it that's how it is there's no other paradigm and you know and but it's also important to kind of keep in mind for me personally is that the hard work and the grinding like that is a essential and necessary element like if that's not going to happen you're not going to make it even though you were lucky Yep. very lucky and you had like mm. all the time and then it's obviously not enough mm. it's just saying without the luck of your life circumstances it, like the skills in itself won't cut it true the, being able to pay attention to what you want is not going to get you out of the war in ukraine mm. you're stuck it doesn't matter you yeah know? um so but then um like we said a little while ago is everybody has been given these skills everybody that is a healthy human being has the ability to pay attention to what they want has the ability to track in real time what they're experiencing and be aware and they have the ability to you know deal with challenges in a more efficient way and yeah. to try to be cool with it what but, are oh, sorry no 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 go ahead yeah yes but um whether you know you're training them systematically or not but you are training them systematically, those skills will improve. Hmm. And now it depends on also how motivated you are. People, a lot of times, this is another lucky situation to be in. People that are motivated, they're not choosing to be motivated. You are lucky that you have a nervous system that results in a lot of motivation hmm. yes again if you're also lucky that you listen to people like andrew huberman for example hmm. then you will acquire new information that can impact how much motivation you will experience like cold exposure certain breathing protocols and so forth will have an impact on your motivation because you release more dopamine for example yeah. But there's also a baseline of some people are just more motivated than others. Yeah. And you and two people might have 
given, given similar circumstances, but one person has more motivation in them hmm. without having chosen to. Nobody in the world ever will say, I don't want to be motivated. If I could be motivated, I would not be. Everybody would choose to be motivated if they could just yeah. snip their fingers. So motivation is also something that is at the essence that like people were given. Hmm. And a lot of people um, that, you know, had to, were maybe given a life circumstances that was much more challenging um, than some others. And, but they made it anyway, because they were so motivated that they worked so hard and they were so passionate that nothing else interested them in their lives. And they came out and start and became the best basketball player in the world. Well, at the foundation that you are so motivated and that you are so passionate was not your choice. Hmm. So again, you got lucky <laughs> that you are yeah. passionate, that you found what you're passionate about and that you are passionate to begin with. If, if you uh, or anybody out there figures out a way how to conjure up passion about something, please tell me because there's a lot of subjects in my life that I need to learn about. I am not passionate and I have a very hard time learning them, mm. right? If I could just figure out a way how like, ooh, I will be so passionate about this and I will <laughs> love it now all of a sudden and I'm so motivated that yeah. I will observe that, observe, uh, ob absorb, <laughs> absorb that information much faster. Right? Yeah, because I, I don't want to do anything else. Mm -hmm. So again, this is a very both. It's like two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And both need to be functioning. Um, it's just sometimes people forget that there is two sides to the one coin. They only see one, but the other was always there. Yeah. Um, and without the hard work and without the dedication and without going through the challenges and without all of that, that's the other side of the coin you can have been given all the luck in the world and like you're not going to make it anyway makes sense uh what are the things that people do who that works against their favor like you know people say using your phone a lot reduces your attention span and that can overall affect how you you know you function on a day-to-day -day basis it keeps giving you that dopamine dopamine hit and then you are uh, you can never you're not able to concentrate on like things that require a lower level of dopamine. What are the things that people just doing that's wrong that they could change in their life and have a massive impact? Yeah, so um, basically that uh, works with any addictive behavior, what you just talked about, you know, looking at your phone a lot and it's specifically, uh, you know, it's just not really your phone. It's basically like anything that's addictive on your phone um, or on your computer or any other behavior. So if you release dopamine, basically mm -hmm. dopamine is the hormone of motivation and anticipation. So if you have a dopamine hit, it really means like you want to do this. And if you have a dopamine drop, then you have the urge to kind of like either not do something or, or you're missing something. Right. Mm -hmm. So both is true. You can have a hit uh, or you can have a dip. Um, if you're engaging in any repetitive, addictive behavior, and let's just take the example that you just shared, you're on your phone and let's say you're scrolling through the TikTok feed, then 
anytime, any, every time you kind of swipe and you see something like you have this dopamine hit um, and you want more and more because you like it and you want more, more, more. And because you're doing it so much, what will happen is that your baseline of dopamine will increase. Mm. When the issue of having an increased baseline of dopamine is that for you to experience real motivation, you need a spike from your baseline. So it doesn't matter how much dopamine the hit gives you, what matters is how much more is it from your baseline. So let's just say the baseline is zero and now you experience a dopamine hit and hmm. you're, these numbers are arbitrary, it's not, not yeah. correct, but let's just say you're at 40, okay? Hmm. Um, and you feel very motored, like you really wanna do this. Hmm. Well, if your baseline increases from zero to 30, the baseline is not what you're ex really experiencing. It's like not that you're like feeling motivated all the time at all. Yeah. The baseline is just like neutral, hmm. but it only goes to 40. So now it goes from 30 to 40. So it's only an increase in 10. Yeah. That's an issue because now you're not feeling as motivated anymore doing these things, but everything else will be a dip, a much deeper dip. So you feel much less motivated. And that's when people are not able to experience joy or enjoy so many other activities in their lives anymore. Um, one of the reasons is like not the only yeah. reason, obviously. Um, so good to know, though, if that is something if you're listening to this, and you fall into one of those categories, yeah, many of us do for sure. I mm. know I have had been in the situation where I'm too much on my phone. Mm. If you're not if you don't have a severe addiction, and you're just like, normal addiction, whatever that means, okay, you're able to kind of regulate it somewhat, a reset of 24 hours will reset your baseline of dopamine. That's so, quick, though. Exactly. I mean, if you have a severe addiction, then um, science has been showing that it's uh, 30 days. It's somewhat rougher. So my sister has just recently gone to this Vipassana meditation center where you don't talk to anybody. They take away your phone when you enter. There is no technology. So you don't, you can't write, you can't read, you can't do anything. You're not even supposed to look someone in the eye because you know that connection is going to give you a dopamine hit. And people find it very difficult. So like some of the, it's supposed to be like for 10, 15 days and people just cannot take it. But then when you do come out of it, you have so much more appreciation for your life. Is, is it because you go lower than zero or like, how does that work? Well, um, Vipassana retreats or general silent retreats, right? Are very beneficial. And uh, I do those every year. Okay. Um, nice. But, you know, I would say, that's like talking about like what effects on your dopamine baseline or dopamine levels generally like a vipassana retreat has is like taking a very sliver lens you know <laughs> of uh, like what a vipassana retreat will like do to you um, how, how do you how do you feel after it you, you can't generalize you everybody feels different you know um it very much depends on what state of mind you're in yeah um 
how many times you've done it. Generally speaking, um, one of my teachers has named it either there, there is afterglow um, or there is an afterlow. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Um, but it doesn't really matter whether there is an afterglow or low. What matters is what impact this has in the long term. Okay. And um, silent retreats for extended periods of times have a very beneficial impact on your life, for sure, for many, many reasons. I mean, that in itself is a long conversation. But, um, you know, if you're in a situation where you're meditating for 16 hours a day, um, in different, you know, standing, sitting, walking, eating, whatever, and you're not really experiencing so much sensory input anymore, you're not hearing a lot of sounds, mm -hmm. you're not feeding your mind with information, whether it's TV or books or music or conversations, you're not engaging in a lot of activities, you're just like working, maybe you're helping clean up one hour a day, um, and then you eat twice a day or three times a day. And other than that, you're just still. One of the effects is that your system will calm down. Our system is basically like a pinball machine. Hmm. Every time anybody perceives consciously or subconsciously anything, their system will react in some way. I say something right now, and because I said it, and you heard it, you will now have a thought in your mind, and now that thought will cause a feeling, and so forth. And generally, when you're walking through life, you are bombarded by sensory input billboards music people talking this like all day long mm. every day when you're on silent retreat it's the exact opposite it's basically no sensory input so um instead of taking the pinball machine um metaphor let's take like a, a pond or small lake metaphor okay so your mind and your emotional state is the pond is the water, the surface, hmm. and everything that you could experience and perceive are stones that I throw into the water. So every time I throw a stone, there will be a ripple wave after. Um, now imagine you're experiencing as you're throwing in as many stones into the water as hmm. things that you're experiencing in life. Yeah. Just imagine you're driving on the street, you're seeing unlimited amount of cars, your radio's on, you're thinking about something, so you're perceiving your mind, you're seeing, you're hearing, you're doing things, right? Hmm. Stones, 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 you're throwing hundreds and hundreds of stones into that pond the whole time. Yeah. And if you want to look at the pond, like, it's impossible to notice anything. Like, you're just like seeing water moving. You can't see the relation that one ripple has on the next ripple. You can't see through the water because the ripples are so uh, active, right? Yeah. So um, once you're starting to throw fewer stones in there, and instead of hundreds of thousands of stones going in there, like almost like rain, yeah. you're now having like ten, five stones thrown in there, one after the other, not even at the same time. Then you will see, throw the stone, you will see the ripple effects, you will see where they go. And now you throw the second stone somewhere else, and you will see those ripple effects, and you will see how those ripple effects affect the 
first ripple effects also. Hmm. And you can also just look at the water and you can see through the water and you see the ground. And that is just a metaphor for your own experience. You will all of a sudden start to notice in real time, oh, if this thought comes into my mind, this is what's happening. This is the thought itself. And then it's causing this feeling in my body. Because there's fewer activities, it's starting to be easier to perceive those activities. And then additionally, like seeing through the pond, you will start to see what is, or rather than see, I'm using the sea metaphor because you're seeing the mm-hmm. um, water on the surface and beneath the surface, you will start to be able to perceive, not see, you could perceive with any of your senses. Mm-hmm. What is if there is nothing, meaning no activity? Mm-hmm. What if there is the absence of activity? What are you perceiving then? What is that like? And that has, and that is only one <laughs> of many, many, many different <laughs> experiences one can have or realize things that can, one can work on. Um, and it will, it has a, you know, significant impact on one's life. Once your own perception changes and once what you're experiencing changes. So I just also wanted to ask you, where can people find you? What are you working on? So they just can keep up to date to what you're, because you're a very interesting person. You're into like sports. You're also into mindfulness. People usually don't think that these two worlds merge, but you are and doing that. And what are you working on? And what are the programs? If people want to sign up and learn from you, where could they uh, find that? So um, if you want to learn about all of the things that I do, then it's probably best to go to my personal web sh- website, which is straka, S-T-R-A-K-A dot L-A, um, or my Instagram. Um, and if you want to learn about the skills that we have been talking about um, in order to enhance performance or any other aspect of your life, you know, uh, then um, you can go to my company, mindsizesports.com. Um, And that's an eight-week program where you will learn everything that we've talked about and then some. Um, And anybody that wants to go through the program but doesn't have the means to pay for it, um, because it's it's not cheap, but if you can't do it and you really want to do it, just shoot us an email and you will get access for free. That's no problem. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking your time and talking to me. My pleasure.